You're listening to the Citrus Church Podcast. Now, here's the message. And it says, early in the morning, on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. And she ran to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said, they have taken the Lord from the tomb, and we don't know where they put him. Peter and the other disciple left to go out to the tomb. I always love this part here. They were running together, but the other disciple ran faster than Peter and was the first to arrive at the tomb. John really wants us to know who was faster. Bending down to take a look into the tomb, he saw the linen cloths lying there, but he didn't go in. Following him, Simon Peter entered the tomb. This is important. He saw the linen cloths lying there also. He also saw the face cloth that had been on Jesus' head. It wasn't with the other cloths, but it was folded up in its own place. Then the other disciple, the one who arrived at the tomb first, John tells us, went inside. He saw and believed. They didn't yet understand the scripture that Jesus must rise from the dead. Then the disciples returned to the place where they were staying. This next section talks about Mary Magdalene, and this is really whose story we're going to listen to this morning. It says, Mary stood outside near the tomb crying. And as she cried, she bent down to look into the tomb. She saw two angels dressed in white, seated where the body of Jesus had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. And the angel asked her, woman, why are you crying? She replied, they've taken away my Lord, and I don't know where they've put him. The angel, as soon as she had said this, she turned around, and she saw Jesus standing there, but she didn't recognize it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, woman, why are you crying? Who are you looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she replied, sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have put him, and I will go and get him. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabbani, which means teacher. And Jesus said to her, Don't hold on to me, for I haven't yet gone up to the Father. Go to my brothers and my sisters and tell them, I'm going up to my Father and to your Father, to my God and to your God. Mary Magdalene left and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord. And then she told them, what he said to her. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. And so, and when the story that we come to this morning, Easter is an interesting time because it's a familiar story. If you've been around church for a while, you've come to a number of Easter services, you've probably heard this story at least once before. Perhaps if you are new and maybe church isn't really your thing, you probably at least know parts of this story if you don't others. This is such a familiar passage that I want to help us to get our minds back into it again, to to get into what it must have felt like on that morning. And, And so to do that, I want to help us to see Mary Magdalene's experience. And so to help us understand what Mary Magdalene might have been feeling, I I want to take you shopping. Uh, Maybe your favorite store is Target or wherever, but I wonder if you've ever had this moment. Uh, you, you, You gather your things, you go into the store, you're shopping, you get your things, you check out, you head back out, you begin to walk down the aisle where you parked your car, 
and you think to yourself, where is my car? And so then you decide, well, I probably parked a row over, and so you go to the next row over, and it's not there. Your heart rate bumps up a bit, right? You start to begin to look around and think, like, I know I parked the car here somewhere. You, you check two more rows the other direction, and you find it's not there either, and you begin to panic, right? We begin to think instantly in that moment, I don't know what you think, but here's what I think. Someone stole my car, right? Obviously, I drove here in it. And we've got that moment of panic and uncertainty in our mind almost immediately goes to, my car is stolen, it is no longer here. And if you have ever experienced or felt that feeling where something wasn't where you left it, and you're certain it must be there because obviously you traveled to the store in that car, right? Then I think we can begin in some way to understand how Mary was feeling on that first Easter morning. Because a few days ago, they had put Jesus in that tomb. She was there, and she knew that, and she saw that. And they put a giant stone over it with the intent and the purpose so that no one would take the body, right? And so when Mary shows up, she has this same feeling of panic and fear and uncertainty of where is the body, where is Jesus, where is our Lord and our Savior, And she may have been feeling all kinds of other things that morning. We can begin to relate to those kind of things. But I can be certain with you of one thing. Her first thought on that first Easter wasn't, Hallelujah, Christ is risen. That wasn't her thought at all. In fact, from the scripture, we can see that that was the furthest thing from her mind. And so what we find in this story here is one of an Easter morning filled with panic and uncertainty and fear, and loss. And Mary's all wrapped up, and she's all bound up in all these feelings and emotions, and and who's to blame her at this point? Now, the other thing I mentioned that I wanted us to pay attention to was those linen cloths that John is so careful to tell us about. John loves little details. And this little detail is important because he tells us that the disciples who got there first saw this and notes that The linen cloths were folded up. They were put together very nicely. They were presentable. And even the face cloth, the one that was on Jesus' head, was folded up and placed nicely. And John wants us to catch that point. And if we'd been following the story along, there's a story a couple of chapters before this that's pretty significant too. And it's the story of Jesus' best friend, and his name was Lazarus. And Lazarus, as I mentioned, was Jesus' best friend. But Lazarus got sick. And Lazarus got sick enough to the point where he died. And so they take Lazarus' body, as was the custom back then, and they they prepared it with spices and oils, and they, they wrapped it up in these linen cloths. They wrapped him tightly, and they placed him in his own grave. They put a stone in front of it. Again, these were the common practices of how to bury someone, how to prepare the body. And of course, during this time, someone had come to Jesus. He was a little bit further away, and they'd said to him, hey, your best friend Lazarus is sick. And Jesus says, you know, he's going to be okay. I've got work to do here. I'll come and see him soon. But he didn't make it in time, obviously. And so when Jesus finally arrives, understandably, Lazarus' sister is like, hey, if you had been here, you could have done something. They're upset with him. 
And, and the same word that they used to say that they wrapped up Lazarus and the Lazarus and these linen cloths are the same linen cloths, the same word that they used to talk about Jesus, who was bound up in the grave. And so when Jesus gets there, he's heartbroken and he's sad because his best friend is gone. Even knowing what would happen next, Jesus still weeps. Yet in that moment, what Jesus says is he stands in front of this tomb and he yells into the tomb, Lazarus, come out. (laughs) And a dead man walks out of a tomb, which I've never seen. I assume is terrifying, right? The last thing anyone ever expected. But here's the thing. When, When Lazarus comes out of the tomb, Jesus says, unbind him. That word unbind means to take off those linens, to take off those grave wrappings, to take off that death cloth. That's the exact same word of what the disciples find that morning laid out nicely inside the tomb of Jesus. The death cloth, the wrappings, the bindings, folded up nicely and put to the side. Of course, the story of Lazarus is just the the tale of coming attractions for what Jesus would have experienced in just a few, a little bit later after that. And so what we begin to see at this point of the story, and, and John lets us in on the secret that Mary Magdalene doesn't yet know. And so what you and I know, and what the readers know at this point, is that Jesus is unbound and out. That the death cloths are no longer holding him. And what we find here is that Jesus has essentially folded up death and left it there in the tomb. But Mary doesn't know that yet. Her concern is just that someone has stolen the body and she feels it's her duty as a disciple to find it. So she's desperate. And I think what we can see in Mary is that Mary still feels bound up. While Jesus is free, Mary is the one who perhaps feels wrapped up in death. Wrapped up in those linens. Bound up. Tied up. Unable to get past this moment. She is trapped. She's a captive. And so Jesus shows up, and again, this is such a familiar story that perhaps it can become commonplace to us, so I want to help us enter into this story. And in just a moment, as we read, Jesus shows up, Mary doesn't recognize him at first. We had this experience uh, just last week, my family and I, we were in Tampa, Florida, uh, for my daughter's first triathlon, shout out to her, Um, and we were in Tampa, and the, the races, I don't know why, but the races always start first thing in the morning. And so we had to be up at like 5, 5.30 to leave the hotel to get to the check-in station. And, and I mentioned Tampa because it's a city that I'm not familiar with. I don't know it. Uh, it was at a place that I'd never really been to before. Uh, and it was a check-in process that I wasn't familiar with. Uh, and, and so we wake up at 5. We're disoriented. We're trying to figure things out. It's dark. I haven't eaten. We haven't had coffee. So you can imagine the parental state we're in, Right? We're making our way there, and it's dark, and we get to a little pop-up tent where the check-in is. And I don't know anybody from this race series. They're not people we know. We hadn't seen our friends yet. And we get up to the tent, and we're getting our check-in materials and registration, and I'm looking at this person who's working the booth, and I'm thinking, that is my high school neighbor from Virginia Beach, Virginia, where I grew up. And all of a sudden, I'm looking at it, and I think, I say, Jen? And she, she looks over, she's putting race materials, she looks over at me, and she goes, Brian? And just in case she wasn't sure, I'm like, 
I'm your high school neighbor. And it was one of these moments where you couldn't plan it if you wanted to. But I'm coming over in this state of disorientation and confusion, and, and she was busy putting together race packets. She was handing them out. She was in the moment. She was focused. And when I called her name, she snapped out of all of it. Right? She paused what she was doing. She looked up, and we began to have a conversation. I mean, a few minutes later, we had to kind of pause to say, she's a, there's like 100 more people coming. I've got to hand out some race packets. I was like, great, I'll catch up with you later. And when I had that experience, I began to think that must have been what it was like on that first morning. You know, sometimes people wonder, why didn't Mary recognize Jesus in that moment? She'd spent all that time with them. She thought he was the gardener. Perhaps his appearance had changed. John doesn't tell us. I wonder if it's this. She was so grief-stricken. Maybe you've been there. She was crying so hard she couldn't see clearly. She was so wrapped up in trying to find Jesus that it was hard to see anyone or anything else around her. My hunch is you have been there at some point too, where you're so into whatever you're doing that you just can't catch what's happening around you at that point. But notice what Jesus does. Mary is bound up in all this um, kind of death cloth, figuratively speaking. Jesus shows up, and the thing he does, do you remember this? He calls her name and says, Mary. And if her eyes couldn't see clearly through the tears, her ears recognized that voice. And in that moment, she knew it was Jesus. And then she turns, it's this, this refre- reflection of, teacher, it's you. And everything changes You know, I began thinking about this passage with the idea, what do we need from Jesus? I want to offer that question to you and to all of us this morning. What do you need from Jesus? And it seems like what Mary needed from Jesus was to hear her name called, to know that he was there with her in the garden. And when she hears her name called, all of a sudden... I wonder what it would look like. It's almost like all, the, all of her death bindings, all that bound her up, just fell by the wayside, just fell at the floor around her, and everything changes in that moment for her. I'm reminded that when Mary couldn't see Jesus, Jesus never lost sight of her. And when we can't see Jesus, Jesus never loses sight of us. I'm reminded of the power of a name. Sometimes when I need to get my kids' attention or I want to try and help them refocus or I want to tell them something important, what what I'll do is I'll kind of get down on their level and I'll kind of get closer to their face and I'll say their name, right? And there's something about that face-to-face contact and when we say someone's name, it's almost like it does a reset in our brain. allows us to come back to present, to set aside the things that are worrying and bothering us. And so as we think about John's gospel this morning, when John wrote this account down of the life of Jesus, he had a particular audience in mind, a particular group of people, and there's a few things he really wanted all of us to know. I mean, John wants us to not just hear the facts of Jesus, but he wants to share this with us so that like those disciples, we too will see and believe, so that we too can hear Jesus call us. So I want to ask us again this morning, what do you need from Jesus? You know, the last two years for all of us, I think we have also felt like we are wrapped in death cloths, that we have been into caves, 
that we have lived isolated and separated lives. I mean, last year when we were out here, we all had masks on as a way of protecting one another. And we've done these things out of love and care for each other. But we have spent the last two years really just staring into tombs. And I think because of that, a lot of us, we're just we're bound up with a lot of things that are worrying us and bothering us. We're fearful of many things, many more than we were before. We have become deeply divided and deeply polarized. We have become angry with our neighbors, both literal and figurative. Right? We have divided against one another. And we are bound up in so many different ways that it can be hard to even see what we need this morning. Like Mary, we're facing these caves of panic and fear. And maybe some of us are even angry at what's been happening and going on. So Jesus asks us this morning, what do we need? Maybe what we need this morning is like what Mary needed. We need to hear Jesus call our name again. We need to hear that refreshing voice come over all the noise and say our names. We need to know that even if we can't see God or you can't see Jesus wherever you're at right now, that he knows where you are. Maybe you feel uh, bound up and taken hostage by things that are happening to you or, or maybe it's things that you do or things going on in your life that you don't feel control over and you just feel taken hostage. And as much as you would like to be free, you're not. Maybe, as I said, you're bound up by the divisiveness and the polarization. Maybe you spend a lot of time watching the news and, and the events in the Ukraine have just bound you up and you spend a lot of time thinking about it. The resurrection doesn't tell us that none of these things matter. In fact, it's just the opposite. The resurrection tells us that all of this matters, that every bit of it is important to God, that every conflict is something that God knows about, that every person is someone that God cares about, that every place of brokenness or where there's separation or where there's people against people or where groups are set aside or where someone is treated one way and another is treated different, all of these matter very much to God. And so the news this morning invites us to say, where do we need to turn from being motivated and led by fear and turn to life? How can we make that pivot that Mary makes from looking into the grave to turning and looking to Jesus? Because while that doesn't always change everything around us and it doesn't make everything perfect, it certainly changes how we approach everything else. And we begin to know that even if everything else is out of control, that God is still in control. And that if everything else is not okay, and I'm not okay, that Jesus is with me. And so I want to invite you to hear the good news of Easter. We follow an unbound Savior. And whatever we are bound up with, Jesus is here to unbind us, and even better, to send us to be that good news into the world and into our communities. And so this morning, I want you to know that like Mary and like Lazarus, you too follow in that line of names Jesus knows and would love to call out once again. I want you to know that Jesus sees you, that even if you can't articulate your need or I can't articulate mine, that God knows it. And so maybe as we begin to kind of bring this to a close here, we wonder, well, how do we, how do we put that into practice? And in just a moment, we're going to continue singing. And the song we're going to sing is one called Love Like Fire. And it's got this line in it that says, That was the moment you called me yours.
And I got to thinking about singing. I'm not a great singer. But one thing I've learned over the years is that God's people have always sung in captivity. When Israel was in the desert, when they were enslaved by Egypt, they sang their freedom songs until they found freedom. That in the New Testament, when the Apostle Paul was placed in prison, they sang their freedom songs until they were set free. That here in America in the 19th century, when Africans were enslaved here in our part of the world, they sang their freedom songs until they were free. And those songs continue to be sung. Songs like, We Shall Overcome. And songs like, Lift Every Voice and Sing. And so what I'm reminded this morning is that God's people have always sung in captivity. And as we sing in captivity with whatever we're bound up with, that becomes one of the ways in which God loosens those bonds and begins to set us free. So whether you sing as well as these folks do, or if you sing more like me, what matters is that we begin to sing our freedom. And that becomes one of the ways that we can refix our eyes on Jesus. So I simply want to remind you again today that Jesus is here, that he is in control, that because of God it's going to be okay, that because Jesus stepped out of the tomb it's okay to step out into the light, that because Jesus is alive he also hears the voice of those who are oppressed and marginalized. So I want you to hear that good news this morning. And know that as you leave this place later today and go back to your home and to your work and to your play, to remember that it's not just about your freedom and my freedom, it's about being those who help set others free. So be on the lookout this week for a way that you can help someone who is oppressed or trapped or captive begin to step into the light. I want to end once again with our response together. If you'll join me, Christ is risen. Christ is risen indeed. Thanks for listening. Make sure to visit our website, citruschurch.org. If you found refreshments in this message, share it with a friend. And hey, God loves you.